Welcome to Making Waves. On today's show, we're sharing parts of an online presentation from March 12th, which marked the 20th anniversary of New Adventures in Sound Art. Making Waves will feature programming over the next year that revisits NASA's programming from the past two decades. But this show focuses on the Deep Wireless Festival of Radio and Transmission Art, which is also in its 20th year. During this March 12th show, I was joined by Victoria Fenner here in South River, Chris Brooks in St. John's, Newfoundland, Anna Frizz in Santa Cruz, California, and James Bailey in Toronto. I'll be playing pieces from each of these artists and speaking with them about their memories of Deep Wireless and their thoughts on how the festival contributed to their work and to radio art in Canada. Uh, Victoria, uh, you were also involved in the early days of NASA with the uh, Radio Without Boundaries conference, and we're going to hold on talking about that till later. Between, I guess, 2003 and 2011 or 12, somewhere around there, uh, we did these collaborations with CBC out front, where we would take a sound artist and match them with a CBC producer to make a piece for CBC radio that we would also then spatialize into an eight-channel piece. And um, the piece that we're going to listen to first is your piece, After Exile. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what the process was like making that piece, uh, you know, and how it might have been different than other pieces that you did in terms of the uh, of having this other editorial uh, voice in the process. What out front wanted was something that was more narrative based and so this is one where I, I describe it as sort of like documentary poetry that's probably about the best way that I can uh, can explain it and there were actually two versions of this piece because I did one which was a little less less linear in terms of the narrative form than Steve wanted for out front so what we said was why don't we do two pieces? So there is the version on, on, that we played on CBC, which is slightly different, a lot of the same elements, but a different structure. And then uh, Darren and I worked on the piece, which was actually presented at, uh, at the Deep Wireless Festival as a commission. So it's sort of like, it's, I thought it was kind of fun to do the two different versions. Um, this particular piece was inspired by a poet who actually, if he had lived past the age of 32, he might have become a more famous poet than he was. And he had been published in journals in in, in Paris. Um, um, I believe James Joyce was also published in some of the same journals. He was uh, a friend of Dorothy Livesey. His name was Raymond Kneister, and he grew up at in the house right next door to our farm when I was a child in Ruscombe, Ontario. And I remember only I only heard about him when I was like in my 40s, I think. And it's like I thought, did nobody think to mention that there was a notable poet who grew up right next to our farm? Like, come on, people, this is important information. So I read his works and his one piece, um, one poem in particular, After Exile, really, really spoke to me. And so this piece was um, the voice of the Raymond Kneister on the train is voiced by Edward Mall, and we did sort of an improv based partly on the poem and based on the conversations which might have happened if I was sitting on the train next to Raymond Kneister. Raymond Kneister, novelist, journalist, and poet. I was still a young man when I drowned in a swimming accident. That was in 1932. 
I was born in Ontario in 1899 near Windsor in the farming village of Ruscombe. Victoria Fenner. I was also born in the village of Ruscombe, and I didn't know until five years ago that such a notable writer came from my ancestral homeland. this heavy backpack. <laughs> Do you mind if I sit down? Mm. Mm. Waking. This train spreads land after a gloom of intense, teeming turmoil of lost streets, a world after chaos. You're coming from the city too? Mm hmm. There's the sky. Wants to know nothing. Here pulling the wheels is earth that yet can wait. Sorrow can be sweet at last. Oh, such a beautiful day. Nice we got an Indian summer this year. Factories to Weedland. And then roads, tawny, clog in farmyards. Across pastures, through a surf of goldenrod, boys wade. They wouldn't be doing that anymore. They'd be in their basements watching video games. Sunday. And there may be mushrooms. No mushrooms these days. There are no pastures anymore. Pastures are all soybean fields and cornfields. And the corn, like drunken grenadiers, topples tarnished, whispering at the hooting train. That hasn't changed a bit. Grapevines know that which they hide. Houses. Church. even October. But barns, houses are fettered. General wires crossed. Not at no cost, I see it all. See, simple, quaint pattern, like the watermark on this paper. There if you like, or if you forget, not there. 
it is the same. grandfathers I heard them speak what did they say they said these words this will hold that old furnace and make us some biscuits remember hearing that are the mares ready to fall it wasn't just their words those are community words those are words that you use when the harvest comes when the harvest goes those are words used when you care for each other as a community. This journey is an important trip home after being gone for many, many years and trying to understand what it is that I left. So the journey and the exile is woven very tightly into your sense of belonging. It's about having left but still feeling like that this place is a part of my soul. And you capture that. You bring that back for me. This train is the clicked passing of dreams. Never tires disposing the swing of telegraph wires cradle to sense. We're almost home. Couple? Cross the aisle? They don't know whether to smile at frank words and contortions of their babies. <laughs> They're cute, eh? <laughs> or toss heads at one stranger who in an hour will not exist. Well, these days on this train there's more clicking of laptop computers and cell phones ringing. Do you miss the old place too? Everything's holding up. Give me 25 for it all. 25 for it all. 10 and go 10. So this will make how many pies, Mom? Should be three if it's for this double. There's a part of me that wants to stay. There's a part of my memory there. But also there's what I need to do. even a sign on the road anymore. Just an old rundown cemetery and your poems. But before they know it, the Blackland steams and crusts with frost and steams. 
oat fields are ready, horses nodding breast the sharp air, and the sun. This is the place I remember, and this is why I really wanted to talk to you. That sun spreads. Man follows and forgets all once more, but to watch the ground passing under is the same. That he loves or has forgotten is a weariness of half-sought memory. Until another harvest come, gone, he may remember that this is life and think to be wise. Seeing it pass. Seeing it pass. What we would do with the Deep Wireless Festival is we would bring together different artists that never worked together before. It was a kind of a week-long blind date among four people uh, who worked together, um, and they came from different backgrounds, often had a connection to radio one way or another. I think in uh, the first several years we did it, uh, each person would pair up to one of the uh, pieces from out f- that were made for out front, and they would create their piece the, in response to the out front pieces. And then the group together would work with each other's pieces. So, uh, like if uh, Anna made a piece, then Chris and the other people in the group, there were f- usually four each year, um, would uh, perform in her piece and then and work uh, with each other. And we're going to be looking at a piece that Chris made. And Anna was one of the performers, along with uh, Evelyn Perry and Eric Leonardson. Um, And Mark uh, Cassidy uh, uh, worked with uh, the four of you. And uh, I don't know, maybe if if, uh, Chris and Anna, if you remember uh, some of the days of rehearsing and developing those pieces, what what was um, different about that process than maybe what you were used to. and what discoveries you made that, uh, that you found interesting. What I recall is that we very quickly were, were uh, coming up with some, some sort of fun and preposterous ideas. So there was lots of, uh, uh, either were earworms and there were tape loops and you know, there, were, there were sound effects and, and, and very, very nice lasting um, collaborations came from that. I worked with Evelyn for years afterwards and we were housemates for a period of time. And And Eric Leonardson and I also produced several productions mm-hmm. and were on tour together. So, um, uh, you know, it was like all, all a nice a nice meeting point that we can thank NASA for. I remember thinking at the time, like, I bet Steve Reich would have liked what we tried to do a little bit, you know? We we're fooling mm-hmm. around with tape um, mm-hmm. at a time when Really, I mean, this was what, 2004, 2005? I mean, at a time when tape was becoming passe. I mean, it still was. Tape was still there. Um, but now, from, you know, 2021 perspective, that seems like uh, 19, such a, a wonderful but 19th century technology. I mean, 
I, I think we would not have thought about doing that crazy stuff with tape now because that's kind of gone. But it's interesting because now I'm I'm now a, a person who teaches uh, university students, and part of the production process is. Uh, include students longing for these platforms that have disappeared. So there's a real interest in tape in many ways. Um, but I mean, I think it's interesting that because uh, Chris, you and I came from radio and Eric um, also had a bit of a radio background and all of us had, had trained on tape, like working on tape, cutting and splicing tape, making tape loops. Like these are things we knew how to do already. Like we had definitely done them before. Um, so they, even though I, it had been maybe five years since I had worked with tape for for making producing programs, I still somehow had some sense of it in me, which now I feel like has receded somewhat into the distance because I've been working more with um, with digital tools or the, you know I, I still use a lot of analog tools, but not specifically tape so much anymore. But I feel like what was really special about it too is that. Uh, uh, you know, Evelyn comes from theater and and uh, music performance. Eric has a background of doing live sound for theater as well as working in radio. Um, I had a sort of street theater background as well as this radio background. You know, Chris, also, I feel like you're someone who who crosses a lot of boundaries in your work, you know, in terms of disciplines. So, you know, none of it was strange to us. If anything, it was just like, oh, finally, we get to make something where, you know, the sauce is visible, like the magic of radio is visible to the audience. And yet it's also still very radiophonic. Like that was kind of the what was magic about it. You can see how the soup is made and it's still fantastic. Like it doesn't lose its magic just because you can see it. I really like the physicality of it, you know? I mean, it's wonderful looking at the at the video now and we're trying kind of vaguely remembering it. we did right and you know at a certain point you have your your hand up for a long time emma mm -hmm. and i think it was actually because we ran into problems with what the, are we going to do with with all of this mechanical mm -hmm. physical tape yeah i had tape running around my, my hand yeah, yeah you were holding up a piece of the tape <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, this is a piece that uh, chris uh, made called the uh, writing on water with uh, Anna Frizz, Eric Leonardson, and Evelyn Perry. And they're on the stage of the Drake Hotel. And they're basically, I guess what's happening is uh, they're constructing a tape loop as part of the performance. And uh, Chris is uh, cutting the spots uh, of the tape loop. And I guess the tape loop was based on two elements. There's a um, person that you interviewed in Newfoundland giving a kind of sense of the geography of, uh, of how they the terms they used to navigate through the water and finding fishing spots. And then the other voice is a quote from a John Berger text that you're reading. And then as you're cutting the tape, different elements get rearranged and moved around. Latitude 47.28 Longitude 52.40 There are no more fish But Motion Bay is still full of words Handed down for 500 years, fisherman to fisherman The words name places where the fish were found
Well, uh, I, I can I can start in from the time you leave the harbour. Okay. And uh, the first place you'll come to is uh, what we call the chapel ground. Mm -hmm. That's the first piece of ground. How do you know when you're on chapel? I mean, you're, to me, it's, well, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just the surface of the water. How do you yeah, know? Yeah, I know when I'm on the chapel ground where you go out with the chapel lined up, you know, the, the, church. the RC church. Right. And you go out with that lined up. And in the South Point, we call it. Right. And then up on Watch Hill here, right. it's two hills comes together, you know? Yes. When you bring them two hills together and the chapel lined up, you're on the chapel ground. Eh? Okay. Yeah. And right. you got about uh, 15 fathom of water there. That's the knob of ground, eh? So that's the first bit of ground. And it's called chapel ground, I guess. Chapel ground, yeah. Because because you line up the church. Yeah, right, yeah. And then you go on down and... Uh, I'm talking about going out to North Shore now. The experience of past and future is subservient to the experience of elsewhere. Something that's gone or awaited is hidden elsewhere in another place. For both hunters and hunted, Hiding well is the precondition for survival. Everything hides. What has vanished has gone into hiding. An absence, as after the departure of the dead, is felt as a loss, but not as an abandonment. The dead are hiding elsewhere. Okay. Anyone don't know anything about fishing, they can they can anchor between these grounds and you wouldn't catch enough of fish these. I mean that's where the fish hang around, these knobs, you know. So if you don't know the marks you're if you don't know the marks sir, you're not gonna you're not gonna do nothing with it, no. Hmm. And then you go up further up the uh, old Terry. Old Terry? Old Terry, yeah. Where did that name come from? I don't know, don't know, sir. And you line up in on the bank then, what they call whale's backs. Just like the whale's back, you know, rocks there. Mm -hmm. And have them shown, eh? You'd be off far enough then, see? Okay. <laughs> Not far enough. And a place down on the motion, or, or just a, in the bite we call it, a uh, round, round, big round rock, it's called a haystack, like a stack of hay, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the mark then for that. And then uh, there's little, little Hanover and Big Hanover. Little Hanover's a bit farther up, eh? There's another bit of ground then. And there's different marks for that? Different marks, yeah. Oh. To the experience of elsewhere, Something that's gone, or awaited, is hidden elsewhere in another place. For both hunters and hunted, hiding well is the precondition for survival. Everything hides. What has vanished has gone into hiding. An absence, as after the departure of the dead, 
is felt as a loss, but not as an abandonment. The dead are hiding elsewhere. The experience of past and future is subservient. I mean, that's where the fish hang around, these knobs, you know. So if you don't know the marks, you're... If you don't know the marks, sir, you're not going to... ...to the experience of elsewhere. Something that's gone or awaited is hidden elsewhere in another place. You get them two lined up here on the dumpy. And then you go out farther, you're out in the ship's run nearly. And there's a piece of ground out there called the Harvey. There's a place there called the Jarrah's Rock. And Sculpin Rock. And the southern part of the rock. And the narrow part of the rock. Because there were so many knobs of ground. You know? It's like a dictionary. Oh, don't be talking. Oh, there. When you get out there, boy, and Sometimes when fish is scarce, you got to be right on that knob the ground to get get fish. I, I can I can start in from the time you leave the harbour. Okay. When uh, the first place you come to is uh, what we call the Chapel Ground. That's the first piece of ground. How do you know? Hiding well is the precondition for survival. Everything hides. What has vanished has gone into hiding. An absence, as after the departure of the dead, is felt as a loss, but not as an abandonment. The dead are hiding elsewhere. The experience of past and future is subservient I mean, that's where the fish hang around, these knobs, you know. So if you don't know the marks, you're... If you don't know the marks, sir, you're not going to... ...to the experience of elsewhere. Something that's gone or awaited is hidden elsewhere in another place.
what has vanished has gone into hiding. An absent, as after the departure of the dead, is felt as a loss, but not as an abandonment. The dead are hiding elsewhere. The experience of past and future is subservient. I mean, that's where the fish hang around, these knobs, you know. So if you don't know the marks, you're... If you don't know the marks, sir, you're not gonna... ...to the experience of elsewhere. Something that's gone or awaited is hidden elsewhere in another place. For both hunters and hunted, Hiding well is the precondition for survival. Everything hides. What has vanished has gone into hiding. And then you go out farther, you're out in the ship's room nearly. And there's a piece of ground out there called the Harvey. There's a place there called the Jarrah's Rock. In Sculpin Rock. In as after the departure of the dead, is felt as a loss, but not as an abandonment. The dead are hiding elsewhere. The experience of past and future is subservient. I mean, that's where the fish hang around, these knobs, you know. So if you don't know the marks, you're... If you don't know the marks, sir, you're not gonna... ...to the experience of elsewhere, Something that's gone, or awaited, is hidden elsewhere in another place. For both hunters and hunted, hiding well is the precondition for survival. Everything hides. What has vanished has gone into hiding. You go out farther, you're out in the ship's room nearly. And there's a piece of ground out there. An absence, as after the departure of the dead. It's not as a loss, but not as an abandonment. The dead are hiding elsewhere.
You're listening to Making Waves, heard the second Saturday of every month on WGXC 90.7 FM. That was Writing on Water by Chris Brooks with Evelyn Perry, Anna Frizz, and Eric Leonardson. And uh, I was going to uh, move into uh, to the conferences and symposias that used to happen during Deep Wireless. And Chris, you spoke at some of them, and I know Anna had in the past. And Victoria, you were involved in uh, starting the first conferences that we uh, we hosted. You were with uh, CSERP, which was an organization of community radio broadcasters that we also brought in people from public radio, from CBC and other places, NPR and others and in Europe. And it was an interesting mix of, of uh, people. And uh, one of the things that Gregory Whitehead had said, me, said to me about the Radio the Boundaries conference is that he appreciated that everyone was on the same level. So I was just wondering what, what your initial instincts were in starting the conferences and, and that and, and, uh, and, and where you wanted to see that go. Deep Wireless, it's like it was a really, really special focus time when we could talk about the art of what we're doing. But there were a lot, a lot of traditional elements. There were a lot of really, you know, approaches that would make public radio people want to go screaming off into the woods. <laughs> so, and also, you know, everyone, everyone's ideas were respected. And I think that that's what's important for a creative community is for everyone to honor where the where we're all at and from beginner all the way to people who have been doing this for 40 50 years uh jim uh, bailey i think you're out there uh listening uh i was uh, interested though your piece that we're going to watch shortly uh is made with a technique of radios interfering with each other and this would be an example of yeah. transmission art uh that you could say uh that uh, was an element that the radio with the boundaries conference which was focused on radio art had more morphed over to transmission art with the TransX symposium and where we brought uh, Tetsuo Kagawa who was creating transmitters live and things like that and I was interested if uh, if those ideas around the how you came across this idea of uh, playing the multiple radios together and also with a theremin and having them interfere with each other where did that arise from? Uh well, I guess going back to my college days when I was studying electronics and um, and I can't remember again how I got to know that putting radios close to each other on the same frequency band uh, tuned just right, you'll get this thing where they'll interact and you get this kind of thing happening. So um, I played around with that for a number of times over the years. That would have been Ooh, mid to late 70s when I started doing that and uh, never really thought of it as transmission art but uh, I guess it um, I basically it's it's using the radios as an instrument not as a, a receiver kind of thing
we have one last piece, and Anna, uh, you bring together these two different um, lineages of radio art, I think, in many ways, that you bring both the, the, uh, the narrative element and also the, uh, this experimentation with radio as a material medium. And uh, so I was interested in how, how you discovered that relationship, and, and that, that's also evident in, the, in this new piece that you've prepared uh, for today. Um, well, I guess it's partially from being just an avid radio listener and uh, kind of developing my sound art and experimentation uh, practice via community radio. And then, um, and I guess it's also, it has something to do with that, those early days of working with tape and working with kind of material, material properties of, of, uh, of sound storage and recording and transmission at that time. But uh, I, I have to say that it was just a, um, it was kind of a revelation for me in uh, 1997, I think it was, when I took a, a workshop with Bobby Kozanek at the Western Front in Vancouver, which was to build a Tetsuo Kogawa transmitter. Um, and then I was just like, oh, right, not only is this about the relationship between the studio and the transmitter and the listening audience that I can't see, but now I can actually just bring all of those relationships into very different kinds of configurations. And that completely transformed my practice. And maybe uh, those were also the things that, that helped me embark on what I would consider the beginnings of my professional art career, meaning like actually getting paid to do things. So. Um, uh, I, that that continues to be of interest to me, and I I feel like in in all forms, both the the sort of field work and and field based sound art that I do now, and multimedia art, as well as all of the kinds of transmission systems that have remained really a, a focal point of my interest or my curiosity. So this piece uh, today is not it's not completely new. I um, uh, I made it for uh, Ushma Radio, which is a radio station started by Roberto Pachidalo in uh, San Marino, and um, which is a fantastic station as well, um, an independent station there that's focused very much on radio experimentation. And so they were doing a theater festival in Sant'Arcangelo in, in Italy. And so they asked me to do a live performance. And I was in quarantine because it was this past summer and I was in, I had come from California back to Vancouver to, to be with my family. And I was sitting in quarantine in my mother's basement suite. And so uh, I made this piece as a kind of performance for that. Um, so what I've put together for NASA is a sort of more condensed and distilled version with some small additions. But uh, the piece is called Unbox. And part of it was because uh, I was experiencing a death in my own family. And I was also very, I, I also, was ill in, in the spring at the beginning of the pandemic and was under the sort of endless quarantine. And uh, so I was both in, invested in the world of shipping and delivery at the same time that I was watching these uh, videos or, or sort of news reports unfold about people being buried in cardboard coffins because of the lack of, of uh, coffins and, and just you know mortuary support based on the sudden overwhelming amount of deaths. And then also dealing with a death in my own family, and so I was, and, and then being in the basement where all of the boxes of the family things are, many of which are kind of disintegrating in strange ways. And so I was kind of confronted with this legacy of stuff, both in a sort of nostalgic sense and also under hypercapitalism, and thinking very much about how all of this infrastructure blends together 
And then thinking about all of the radio that's related to this, like so much two-way radio, so much navigational systems, uh, satellite communications, wayfinding, GPS, et cetera. There's just a tremendous amount of radio involved in moving things around. And so people may not be moving, but things are moving. And radio is what's moving them, or at least providing the infrastructure. So um, that's kind of the backdrop to the piece. So thanks, Anna, and thanks, everyone. And here's uh, Unbox by Anna Friis.
consciousness of containment. Package it up. Ship it off. Warehouse it. Move it someplace where no one will see. Not enough to put them in the ground, you know. The satellites might see. Box it up. And meanwhile, the benign circulation of things continues. thousand million 
billion selves. Open the lid. And what kind of cobwebbed mass, what creature has been spawned by that which you sought to contain and to hide? It's only time and new creatures that remain. That was Unbox, What is to be Done with All That Remains, by Anna Frizz. You've been listening to Making Waves. Today's show was a small retrospective of the past 20 years of the Deep Wireless Festival, and it was recorded on March 12th, the 20th anniversary of the founding of New Adventures in Sound Art. In the show, you heard from Victoria Fenner, Chris Brooks, Anna Frizz, James Bailey, and myself, Darren Copeland. Thank you for listening.